0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. And last week we talked about the fact that uh, the kingdom, we said, is a domain where the king's will is done without question. So any place where king or queen, Mother's Day, queen, Uh, gets their will done in their domain. That is their kingdom. Uh, And we said, we even looked at the verse where Jesus says, the Lord's Prayer, that we're supposed to pray that his will be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. Because God's kingdom, we tend to think, yeah, it's only in heaven, but his kingdom is all-encompassing and so we, as the church, are supposed to be a representation of what God's kingdom looks like when we love one another, the way we treat one another, when we share with one another, when we look at each other and say, despite our differences, we're still going to care for one another and support one another. That's what it looks like in God's kingdom. And we are the only representation of that that people outside of God's kingdom uh, are going to see. And these two books, First and Second Samuel, a um, lot of history, but also a lot of relevance, and we're going to see that. Uh, but they talk about the fact that God is looking for a human king, because as we said last week, nation of Israel said, we don't want God as our king, we want a human as our king. So they'll go through, and they're looking for a human king, and God is looking for someone who can do what he was supposed to do, which is lead the nation of Israel. Um, and normally when we go through, I give you a lot of background about the book, so you can see that it's still relevant, it's not just some obscure piece of ancient literature that has no ties to us. It's actually very relevant to us today in our lives. And I'm going to do that in a minute, but first we're going to jump right into a couple of verses and then I'll give you some background. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1st or 2nd Samuel. If you don't have one, there should be one under the chair to the left or right of you somewhere. And 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Samuel, I should say, we'll get to 2nd Samuel in time. 1st Samuel, um, I think it's the 8th or ninth book. In the Bible, or do what I like to do a lot: turn to the table of contents. It'll take you right there. Uh, it's right after the book of Ruth, and in First Samuel, chapter one. And we're going to do a lot of reading, uh, but it's significant, and I'll show you why. First Samuel, chapter one, verse one: It says, "There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of elihu the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite." He had two wives, one was called Hannah, and the other called Penina, or Penina. Uh, Penina had children, Hannah had none. First and foremost, a lot of people look at all the names, weird names, weird places, weird things, not relevant to us, close the book and say, I'm done, jump to the New Testament. Makes sense. However, there's a reason why it's listed there, because even though we can't go and look, I mean, we could, uh, again, if you've watched all those, like, Happened again last night, fell asleep with the TV on, woke up, and uh, I think it was, I don't know, some famous person was going through their ancestry of here's where they are. And this is is people would look and say, oh, yeah, and kid you not, it happens all the time whenever I go out with Gary, sorry, but he's, whenever I go out with Gary and we bump into someone, one of his first things is, am I related to you? And they start talking about their family history, oh, well, I'm the son of this, I'm the son of that, oh, yeah, my grandmother, your grand, blah, 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 all that happens, and this is the same thing. People would look and say, even though it was a few generations later, yes, I know that person, I know that family, so I know that this book is real. It's not just some ancient document that has no significance, there are real people, real places, they would look and say, oh, yeah, my grandmother used to live in that town, she knows so and so, all right? Also, um, even though it lists where, you know, this guy, excuse me, Elkanah had two wives, that's not the Bible saying that's what we're supposed to do. That's the Bible recording what happened. But as we're about to read, that's not God's plan. Because in verse 3, it says, year after year, he went up from his town of to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. That's where the temple was. Hophni and Phinehas, two sons of Eli, were priests. Eli was the high priest. Hophni and Phinehas were not just TV characters. They were priests of God. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, which would be like giving an extra blessing uh, because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, and this is why God is not a fan of the multi-wife setting, Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And that word rival means an adversary or an opponent. And we all know that if you're in the same family, it doesn't help to have one person working against the other person. That doesn't help the family. So God's idea isn't that, hey, there's going to be this guy and two wives or three wives or four wives. Or, or seven wives, or in Solomon's case, a 1,000. Not even going to go there. But that they would be one man, one woman, and they'd devote their love and attention to each other because this is the same thing that happened, and I'm going to jump back, uh, keep your finger there, or if you want to go to Genesis, uh, with Abraham because Abraham had been living in Cana for 10 years. Sarai, who's Sarah, we know Sarah, took his wife, uh, took his wife, ah, oh, sorry, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Because God had said, I'm going to give you guys a child, and the pain of not having a child for a lot of people, hard to bear. So Sarah said, hey, I'm going to give you my handmaiden, and she's going to be your wife, and then her child will be mine. But then what happened was, he slept with Hagar, she conceived when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. In other words, I'm the one that's having the child, so I should be, you know, kind of higher up than you. But then here's the response. Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I, she, put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me, your slaves in your hands, Abraham said. Uh, Do with her whatever you think best. And then she mistreated her, and she ran away. So again, this is supposed to be a family unit, and when the family unit is kind of like divided, it doesn't work. Someone's always going to be on the receiving end of hardship and hurt, pain, uh, which is what we have here. Now, before we go on, uh, let me jump into a little bit of the background because in this book, uh, it was a transition from loose tribes, right, 12 tribes of Israel, to one united nation under one ruler. Supposed to be under God. But initially, we're gonna read it's under Saul, then it's under um, uh, David, and what ends up happening is that God says, hey, I'm I'm trying to take you guys from these 12 separate things, which is kinda like what God wants, but these 12 separate nations and tribes into one united kingdom, which is what God wants. Everyone under one rule, everyone under one house. Uh, It was originally written uh, by Samuel, but later parts of it were written, believed to be written by Abiathar the priest, because a lot of this takes place after Samuel dies. Um, And Samuel uh, in 1 Chronicles 29 is recorded as a seer, and it talks about the events of David's reign from beginning to end are written in the records of Samuel the seer, and that's this this record. That's this book, 1 Samuel. And we'll read in a couple of weeks where he's referred to by everyone as a seal, a seer. And the tribal aspect that they were kind of separated, God's like, hey, that's great, but there's a lot of animosity between the tribes instead of unity between the tribes. Although from God's perspective, uh, if all the tribes had worked, right, and each one was looking at God as king, it would be great, because God's idea is there's going to be all these nations. Each nation looking as God is king. Um, and in the book of Judges, this actually takes place right after the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, what talks about all the tribes. What happened was they would raise up a judge over that area, a judge over that area, a judge over that area. But none of them were all doing one thing because they all had different leaders. And the way the book of Judges ends is this. And it says this throughout the book of Judges, but it ends, this is the very last verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So everyone just said, hey, yeah, I know. We're all supposed to be under one God, and this is true today. Again, this is why this book is so relevant today is because the same is true today. All these different denominations that say, yeah, we're all under one God, but in every single denomination, they each do their own thing. Everyone does what they saw or they think is right. So jumping back into this, uh, here's what he said. Uh, Verse 7. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her so she wept and wouldn't eat. And then her husband said to her, hey, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Aren't you downhearted? Don't I mean more than you than ten sons? And sometimes when women are dealing with infertility, we as men don't necessarily understand that because we don't have that ability that women have to kind of give birth to children. We no kids, in the room. We kind of, once the sperm is gone, our job is done. Sorry, that's all adults here. Our job is done from the guy's perspective, but then for the next nine months, your job as women, as mothers, is just beginning. And then for the next however many years after that as you're raising them. So when a woman is dealing with infertility, we kind of like, okay, I get it. I see you're hurting, I don't get it. And sometimes, because we're men, we say, What may seem as stupid or unfilling things. Verse 9, once they had finished eating and drinking, Hannah stood up. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair, and this is where she begins praying. In verse 10, in bitterness of soul, she wept and prayed to the Lord and made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, that phrase Lord Almighty is is not El Shaddai, it's actually uh, Lord of Hosts, it's the word Sava, so, O Lord of hosts, and that word Lord of hosts literally means the Lord of hosts, Lord of battle, but also the Lord of the appointed time, which we're going to see why that's relevant in a minute. She says, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. She looks at her child that she doesn't have, but she knows she wants to have, and says, if you give me a child... I'm going to commit that child to you for the rest of your life. And this is what's known as a, uh, a Nazarite prayer. And that word Nazarite has absolutely no meaning outside of the Bible. But in the book of Numbers, this is what God proclaims to the people. He says, speak to the Israelites, say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine, another drink, not drink vinegar or even fermented drink, not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. And then he said, as long as they remain under their vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, no seeds, no skins. During the entire period, no razor may be used on their head. They're to be holy for the period until the dedication to the Lord is over. They must not let their hair grow on. And throughout this period of dedication, they cannot even go near a dead body. And he proclaims all these things. They're supposed to stay clean, no drinking. If it were today, it would be, hey, I'm not going to drink any wine, I'm not going to drink any grape juice, I'm not going to eat any raisin bran, although I doubt those are real raisins in the raisin bran, but I don't know, I'm not going to eat any raisin bran, I'm not even going to drive by the liquor store. I'm just going to abstain. They couldn't go near a dead body. Uh, Even if it was a family members of theirs that passed, they couldn't go to the funeral because they were setting themselves apart to say, I'm holy to the Lord. And the growing long hair was an indication that, hey, I'm in a time period of vow to God. And the Jewish people would look. The Bible doesn't set a time period, but normally they were 30 days. You could double it to 60 or 90 days. But it was for a set period of time. But the Bible gives three exceptions to people who did it for a lifetime. One was Samson, everybody remembers Samson and Delilah from the, there hasn't been an updated movie of that, I'd love to see one, but Samson, uh, he did it for a lifetime. Um, We're looking at right here, where Samuel was for a lifetime, and we'll see that in a minute, but also John the Baptist was for a lifetime, and as we read, when that person made a vow, throughout that period, they were consecrated to the Lord. Here's the difference, those three, they didn't make a vow, their parents did. And their parents said, I commit, the parents of Samson, parents of Samuel, parents of John the Baptist, I commit to raise this child in a God-honoring way and give them over to you. Yes, they're going to be my child, but they're going to be your child, God, and I'm going to assure that they are raised in a God-honoring way. And I pray, I pray, I pray that we as a culture do more of that instead of less of that. Because we're getting in in the mindset where, you know what, uh, uh, God, if you give me a child, I'm going to make sure they get to all the sports and activities. Uh, I'm going to make sure that they spend every Sunday morning at soccer or softball or whatever. And we commit all these other outside things to them instead of committing them to the Lord. Then jump down, verse 12. As she kept on praying, he observed her mouth, uh, and it looked to him like she was drunk. And in verse 15, she says, not so, Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was just pouring out my soul to the Lord. And then jump over to verse 19. Early the next morning, they arose, they worshiped before the Lord, they went back to their home, and then Elkanah lay with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it's not that God had forgotten. It's, again, the the Lord Sava, the Lord of the appointed time, acknowledged that this is the time that he was going to use this family and this mother to bless his people, and so in verse, in the course of time, verse twenty, Hannah conceived. She gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, "Because I asked the Lord for him." And this is pretty much this is the prayer of most mothers, because every mother uh, wants specifically for God to hear their prayers, especially when they're longing for a child. And some of you, as moms, you can remember when you were like praying for a child and and when you're pouring out your heart like god if you give me this child and you want god to hear your prayers but as especially with all the shootings and school stuff going on uh, every mother wants god to hear their prayers at the loss of a child and it doesn't matter if they're an infant doesn't matter if they're a toddler doesn't matter if cancer takes them as a teenager or if something happens and they die at 40 or 50 or 60 if you're their parent and you're still around You want God to ease your suffering, your hurting, and your pain, and you want God to hear your prayers. But I pray that we would continue to hope for God to give us the wisdom and insight to raise our children. Because here's the reality. Raising kids today is not like when we grew up. There was no level of cyberbullying when we grew up. If I came home crying, it's because someone said something mean to me on the school bus or at school. It wasn't because I sat down on the internet and for hours everywhere I looked online, people were bad-mouthing and making fun of me. When I grew up, and I lived in New York City, I would literally, with my friends, we would leave the house, we'd get on a bus or a train, go visit friends in other boroughs, and come home at night, and we were like 13, 14, 15. And today, when you let your 13 or 14 or 15-year-old out of the house, you're concerned about, you know, weird cars stopping by and trying to snatch them or all of these concerns that did not, we didn't have to deal with. It's a totally different world. So as not only that, when our children get young adults, and I told someone this a couple of weeks ago, yeah, prayed for my kids when they were young, spends oh so much more time in prayer for them now that they're adults. And it's a totally different type of parenting. So I still pray, God, I need to learn how to parent my adult kids. And it'll be different the way I do it this year than the way I do it two years from now or five years from now. Because they'll be older, they'll have more experiences, and they're like, all right, God, you gotta help me with this. And we want God to hear our prayers throughout every, every, every cycle of this. And here's the part that we forget, though, because when we ask God, hey, God, I want you to hear my prayers. I want, to, I, I, I want you to help me with raising my kids. I want you, as, as uh, Hannah did, I want a child. Uh, when we ask God, we do it, trusting that God can do it, right? Makes sense. If we're asking God, it's because we believe he can do it. Here's the hard part that we always forget, whether you're a parent or an individual, it doesn't matter. When you're praying, yeah, I trust God can do it, so I'm going to ask him for it but I also need to trust God if he doesn't do it. So if God doesn't answer my prayer, it doesn't mean he didn't hear us. It just means that for whatever reason, he's decided maybe not now. Maybe there's a better time. Or sometimes maybe you're not ready for that, Floyd, so I can't answer this prayer right now. But what we've got to do is say, hey, no matter what, we're going to trust God, and we're going to praise him, in all things, we're going to praise him when he answers the prayer. And so I've got the newborn baby, but I'm going to praise him if he doesn't answer the prayer. And and, and let me let me throw this out there um, because I know that there are a lot of people that are like today, Mother's Day, is hard for them. Again, infertility, they're praying for a child. Here's a reality. As many mothers are out there praying, hey, God, I wish you would give me a child. There are lots of children out there praying, hey, God, I wish you'd give me a mom. And I know a lot of people, we want bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. We want just you know our kids, someone that looks like me, I can raise, has my characteristics. But sometimes, uh, adoption is always a good avenue. I have lots of friends that they, they have more kids than I have friends. I mean, seriously, they just keep popping them out. They have just lots of kids, like a lot more than in this room. I mean, they have a lot that they just keep popping them. Sorry, women, that was probably offensive. I didn't mean popping them out. Um, they keep having babies, yeah, all right? But I have other friends who they, they just keep adopting. They, they, they have adopted more kids than I have friends. They just keep adopting, and they adopt ones from here. They've adopted ones from overseas. They've adopted black ones, white ones, Asian ones. I don't know if they have any... Hispanic ones, and I'm thinking of a specific family, a woman named Sonia uh, and her husband, and I can't remember how many they have now, but a lot. And then there are the friends, people who, they have kids and they adopt kids. And, and, and it's not a, it's just, hey, if God's given me the resource to be able to do that and expand my family and share my love and his goodness and blessings with people, and, and they keep doing it, and then they go a step further and bring in some dogs. I mean, they're just all out. Great good for them but just just sharing that that sometimes um god does give an answer and it may not be hey you're gonna bear a child it may be hey you need to open your arms and your mind to bring in other children but we've got to trust god and praise him with all things because this is what hannah does uh she says she has the child and and she ends up giving birth to him Uh, And then she says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked him, so now I give him to the Lord. Again, this is that Nazarite vow. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Not her, the child worshiped. Because she said, and she took the step, I'm going to raise him to know and acknowledge God as sovereign over his life. And then she says this prayer. She says, Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, so there probably was a in your face, pen and I, a little thing going on. She says, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And there is nothing more powerful. It's one thing, and I did this, to send your children off to church. Hey, go to Sunday school, get it, because I did this. I sent Brandon on a bus, Send them to church, came around to the community and picked up kids and took them to church. I stayed home and slept in because I was working night shift. And that's one thing. Uh, although, you know, don't just put your kids on a random bus and let them take your kid away, especially today. But that's one thing. But it's another thing to bring your child to church and let your child see you worshiping the Lord, which is what happened here. And then it goes on and it says this. Uh, And I'm going to close with this as the band comes up. Actually, yeah, as the band comes up. uh, As Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod, each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when he went up with her husband to offer the animal sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And I realized that, you know, for a lot of moms today, it's hard. But when you honor what God wants from parents, he blesses that. Sometimes it may be with other children. Sometimes it may be with safety. Sometimes it may be protection. Uh, but God honors that. When we honor him and this is the reality because this is also what every mother wants every mother, you know dreams of yeah, I want God to hear my prayers when I pray for my children keep them safe because they're young and they're infants and they're susceptible to disease and all kind of stuff because they're young and all that stuff. So we pray for them. And when they're toddlers and they don't know a lot, we pray for them. And when they're teenagers, we want God to hear us because we pray for them because there's so much trying to pull them in every direction. And when they're young adults and we no longer have that level of influence, we pray for them and we want God to hear our prayers. But we also want to have our children honor us by honoring God. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments, to honor your father and your mother because it's a picture of what we do with God. So someone asked me, he said, hey, what are you doing for Mother's Day? Are you, like, giving away coffee, not coffee, cups, or are you giving out flowers or whatever? And um, I didn't tell them, but what I want to give us is time. So if you're a mother here today, I just want to take just 10 seconds, shouldn't even take that long for you to just say thank you, Jesus, for the children that God has blessed you with. Sometimes, like Hannah, we need to stop and say thank you, God, for answering my prayers. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for a moment and just take, if you're a mom here and you've got kids and they don't have to be perfect, they may not be doing everything that you want, But if you're a mom here or a parent, just take a few seconds and say, thank you, God, for hearing my prayers for my kids. And if you're here today and you're struggling, or maybe not here, but if you're just struggling with the loss of a parent or the loss of a child, And each one can be like emotionally painful and scarring. Still just take a moment and say thank you, God, for the time that you got to spend with them. Because there are so many people, as we said, so many orphans, so many people who have been orphaned that didn't get any time with their parents. So if you're dealing with the loss of a child or of a mother, Just take a few seconds and say thank you God for the time that you allowed me to spend with them. So grateful for that time. And for all of us here today, for just all of those relatives, the fathers, the mothers, the children that God has put into our life who spoke to us about God's kingdom and were influential and bringing us into his kingdom and sharing his love and his goodness and grace with us. Would you just take a moment and say, thank you God for that mother, that father, that cousin, that son, whoever it was. Just thank God that they shared the love of Christ with you. Just take a moment and say, thank you. God, we know we live in a world where there's a lot of pain There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of loss, but we are grateful that we live in a world where there's a God who loves us and who can step in and give us a peace that transcends all understanding to help us through those times of hurt and pain and loss. But we also are grateful that there's a God who loves us enough, that he invites us all to be a part of his family, to be his children, to sit at his table and experience his love and his grace for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.